evening and welcome to the Soho Theatre on June the 9th, 2013 for No Pressure to be Funny. Created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. And now it is time to introduce your host, a man who has tried reasoning with the EDL but not EDF because we all know how pointless that is. Please welcome Mr. James O'Brien. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alistair. And a special hello, if I may, to the group in the audience from GCHQ. They should, should be easy to spot. They'll be the ones not laughing at any of this monologue because they've already read it. Uh, Apple, of course, maintained that they've never heard of the NSA's prison program. It's possible, I suppose, but they also seem to maintain that they've never heard of paying tax either. Last week showed us you never know what to expect in this world. The Pope was heard talking sense about materialism and overconsumption. The IMF admitted that they had made mistakes over Greece. And the Mayor of London, Boris Johnson, went on holiday to celebrate his 20th wedding anniversary. Amazingly, he took his wife. (laughs) Baroness Knight has expressed her opposition to gay marriage. She insisted homosexuals are artistic and very good at things like antiques. (laughs) The gist of her comments in the Lord seemed to be that gay people shouldn't be allowed to have weddings, but they should be allowed to plan them. (laughs) Prince Al-Walid bin Talal is suing Forbes magazine for underestimating his wealth at a mere 20 billion pounds. Now, if you ever wanted a definition of being too rich, it's probably having enough money to sue Forbes magazine for saying that you're not rich enough. Michael Douglas publicised his new role as Liberace this week by claiming his throat cancer was caused by cunnilingus. Ah, surely, surely no one has ever shouted, I'm not gay, quite as loudly as Michael. (laughs) Basically... He seems to be saying, I've had so much pussy, it gave me cancer. (laughs) The rest of us are going, bloody hell, I I once got a carpet burn. (laughs) James Kahn, as you know by now, has been made the government's new social mobility czar. He is thought to have appointed his daughter to handle accusations of nepotism. And, And to... To illustrate this campaign, they've come up with the slogan, James Kahn, you can't. (laughs) At least I I think that's what they said. And and finally, Pippa Middleton, the new British contributing editor for Vanity Fair magazine, has filed her first article. Apparently, it looks better if you turn the page and look at it from behind. Thank you very much. Thank you. Please put your hands together for the one and only Mr. Mitch Ben. Okay, before I go on, what I'm going to do later on, I'm going to try and uh, write a song for you, okay? So uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to naff off back there for about 20 minutes and then come back out, by which time hopefully I will have constructed something new for you. So if you guys just want to start shouting out stuff that's in the news, we'll go with two or three ideas and I'm going to try and write something about that. So, anything is in the news right now that's particularly on your mind? So again, surveillance. Okay, surveillance in general. Let's get something else from in the dark. Anybody? Woolwich. Woolwich. Oh, crumbs. Yes, that's a thigh slapper. Okay, let's get that now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. Woolwich Furnace surveillance. I'm seeing a theme developing in here. And anything from over there? Anybody? Say again? Kim.com. 
What's Kim.com? I'm not familiar with this. I will Google it and I will learn it. Okay. okay. Kim.com, Woolwich and Savannah. All right. Okay. I'm going to do this one for you. I did this one on uh, the Now Show, the radio thing I do a couple of weeks ago. It seemed to go over quite well. This is a song I wrote for the attention of the EDL. I shouldn't imagine they're in. It'll get to them eventually, I've no doubt. <laughs> Via the NSA, if nothing else. I uh, know, you know. They're not the most, not fastest on the uptake. The EDL are pretty much the paramilitary wing of the Jeremy Kyle show, but they're out there somewhere, so. Anyway. There are things worth rioting about right now. There are lots of valid reasons to be pissed. There are things worth rioting about right now, and the Muslims are not even on the list. If you're so damn concerned about the working class, why are you not marching for the NHS? It's the one thief keeps ordinary folk alive, but it's more fun blaming immigrants, I guess. Now they're trying to ration visits to your own GP. It's the latest brain rape from Jeremy Hunt. You might want to look at your priorities, or are you judge a bunch of stupid racist cars? There's things worth rioting about right now. There's some fairly serious shit that's going down. There are things worth rioting about right now, but it's easier blaming everybody brown. And if you're trying to preserve the British way of life, have you noticed that they're gutting legal aid? For a bunch you get arrested quite as much as you, I would think this was a cause to be afraid. You'll be defended by a lawyer trained at Eddie Stobart's in a run-for-profit court without a hitch. Cause we're not innocent or proven guilty anymore, we're all guilty until we are proven rich. There's things worth rioting about right now If you weren't so ignorant you might have known There are things worth rioting about right now So get a clue and leave the mosques alone Yes, get a clue and leave the mosques alone See you in about 20 minutes. I'm going to bring on the panel now, if that's all right with you. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Liam Malone, Jessica Foster-Q, Hal Cruttenden and Dan Smith. Liam Malone is a former gravedigger and obituarist for The Times. Unsurprisingly, he now works as a comedian. Um, writer and comedian Jessica Foster Q has a website listing all her achievements. So we just picked this one. Best Actress, Dorset Drama League, 1997. <laughs> ha, 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 I was in a fat suit as a dragon. <laughs> Dan Smith is the Secretary General of the peace-building charity International Alert and, as such, is the only grown-up on the stage this evening. And Hal Cruttenden has recently appeared on Live at the Apollo and Let's Dance for Comic Relief. He, 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 he did film another primetime show, but shortly afterwards, one of the other celebrity guests was picked up by Operation Utree and the whole episode was shelved. That's absolutely true. Not, not, yeah, not, not many people know about this, but Alistair Barry does, and he writes the intros. Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, your panel. And, and before we hear from the panel, please welcome to the stage with the devil's advocate motion this evening that gay marriage is wrong, Mr. Alistair Barry. <laughs> Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Marriage is between a man and a woman, and if I say it loud enough, it must be true. 
The fact that marriage itself is a human construct rather than, say, a scientific fact is of no importance whatsoever, because when you have strong homophobic feelings like these, they simply can't be challenged by something like reason. Some may say that marriage is a changeable institution, but not on my watch. I mean, we made a few allowances for Henry VIII, but he never wanted to do anything as silly as marrying a chap, did he? Although we've all seen the pictures of Anne of Cleves and thought, what ho, bad luck, big man. (laughs) Others may point out that if two consenting adults wish to publicly cement their union, there should be no problem at all. But I've read the details of what goes on behind closed doors, and frankly, it disgusts me. Fisting, ladies and gentlemen, that's what goes on, and they like it. I've read all about it, and that's all they do all day. Legalise gay marriage, and the next thing you know, men will be walking down the street attached to each other in the most revolting way. Doesn't even bear thinking about, even though I can't help thinking about it. (laughs) It's also against my religious beliefs. It vitiates against the holy sanctity of marriage, and that is no laughing matter. As a former member of the Conservative Party who has now found his natural home with man of the people and millionaire stockbroker Nigel Farage, I would like to point out that the union between a man and a woman is a sacrament that is enshrined in both law and by a higher power and may not be broken unless you're the Mayor of London or someone equally powerful who happens to fancy it. Which is a normal human manly urge and therefore completely understandable. Unlike those perfectly normal manly urges you had at boarding school, which have now been quietly buried in the dead of night in a safe place where your wife and golfing partners can't find out about them. (laughs) I also don't like Europe. I thought I'd mention it. Some people wonder... Some people wonder why these two issues have become bound up in the public imagination, and I will tell you why. I don't like either of them, gays and foreigners. Not my cup of tea. I'm quite racist too, but apparently that's not politically correct these days. (laughs) Which is one of my favourite phrases to use, because I actively enjoy misunderstanding what politically correct means. In conclusion, I'd just like to say I don't believe in Europe, even though it clearly exists specifically to annoy me, and I don't believe in gay marriage, even though people are trying to make it exist also specifically to annoy me. And people have the temerity to call me a swivel-eyed loon. Ha! I'm not swivel-eyed, though. If I was, it would only be because people have made me so with their spurious, logical arguments. You are not born swivel-eyed. You become so through indoctrination and physical contact, and I, for one, shall be opposing the teaching of eye-swivelling on the national curriculum. I thank you. (laughs) Alistair Barry, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, well, why not begin with this vexed issue of equal marriage? Um, Why, Hal Crottenden, do you think it's even an issue? I I think it I mean, it's ridiculous. I think it's kind of an issue because old people vote a lot. Um, I do. I can't. I can't. I kind of think it's it's so ridiculously old fashioned, and it does seem to me. I mean, I'm not being anti older people. I'm sorry if there are old people here. Um, but I think I think you're the oldest. Now. I am one of the old. I, I'm prematurely great with a young face. Um, <laughs> No, I do. I honestly, I, I think it's it's so ridiculous now. It seems like the, the attitudes to gay relationships are the majority of the population does not have a problem with this with these relationships. So why are we having a problem with with marriage? It does seem to be because there is too much power vested in the older members of society. I think we should put polling stations on tall hills and things with no road access. I do. I know that's horrible. I, I actually that that would discriminate against the dis- disabled. I think I think loud drum and bass played outside a polling station that might equal things up a bit. I think it's, it's absolutely farcical. And 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 I mean, is the, is did did the New Testament ha- did Jesus say anything? Never. Uh, he never did. You can find a line in Romans about um, uh, marriage specifically being a, a union between a man and a woman, but he didn't intend 
Well, I say he didn't intend. I haven't checked. He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't saying that means you can't have it between a man and a man. He was just talking about fidelity and commitment and yeah. all those other things that the conservative opponents of equal marriage are so good at. Yeah, like, but, but, <laughs> it, but is, is it extraordinary that, that like church figures are, are based on a man who didn't really make a strong statement on homophobia? I was, I was no. so sorry about that because he was kissed. He did a lot of kissing, didn't he? Jesus? he, he was yes. <laughs> and it, it, he was um, kissed by Judas to betray him, and he didn't go, uh, Bender, did he? He was... <laughs> no. Although, hell, ima- imagine if he had. Yeah. had, a, had a, <laughs> the future of Western civilization would have, would exactly. have changed. Exactly. So a little more homophobia on the part mm. of Jesus and he never would have been crucified. <laughs> um, no, you're right, it's all in the Old Testament. Yeah. As is Onan, who, who, of course, lends his name to the popular hobby of Onanism, or uh, pleasuring yourself. And yet, no one on the Christian right ever seems to have a pop at the wankers, in the way that they do. <laughs> just the just to be a, a pedant, though, o- Onan uh, didn't masturbate. That was, that's uh, a misunderstanding. What, it, Onan committed premature ejaculation. Uh, he, he withdrew from Tamar and, as it says, um, and spent his seed on the dusty floor. Uh, it, there was no wanking well, involved. thank you really. very much, Father Liam. That's the case. So I don't Onanism. know why it's been taken as wanking. There's nothing about wanking. Well, it's the waste of... Fine. Well, we're just, off, aren't we? Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the waste of sperm, then, that Onan has well, made it, it, He'd been to. specifically told to impregnate Tamar, and it, he hadn't... Uh, it, it, it was, he was breaking the specific instruction, was, was, the, was the penalty, not what he was actually doing. Speaking of uh, waste of sperm, we probably will be talking about George Osborne He's <laughs> <laughs> in Genesis, isn't he, Liam? Onan? Good. I, I don't know that much. The, the, about the it. book of the Bible. He's <laughs> not, not my best like mate. Phil Collins and, and Mike Rutherford. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Collins and Mike Rutherford and Onan. I slightly challenged. I, I agree, I think, with the, uh, the power of the old people, but also, I think more worryingly, I've got a teenage half brother, and he's horribly homophobic. Really? I would say the reason it's still an issue is because actually you can get too easily a false sense of security living and being in London where generally people are relatively liberal and actually there's still just loads of just base homophobia. I think that's why it's still an issue. I think people think they've got an argument when they say, I don't hate them, I hate what they do. Like, you know, Ian Paisley Jr. I think they genuinely think that's a, a viable what, argument. I used they... to say that about Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I had to admit I do hate them. <laughs> That, that argument is like a lot of comedians who are, I know who've said things like, I don't hate Muslims, I hate Islam, which to me is like saying, I, uh, I don't hate bananas, I just hate the colour yellow, uh, potassium, <laughs> and, and all organic plant matter. The crescent, uh, yeah. <laughs> the crescent shape. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the yellow crescent Particularly shape. Particularly that. Um, Dan, presumably, I, I mean, we have these conversations from the luxury of, of, of Western civilization, homophobia, uh, homosexuality, so you can still get killed for in certain parts of the world. Well, I mean, at the extreme, in Mauritania, um, gay relations are punishable with death by stoning. On the other hand, actually worldwide, there's more countries where gay relations, not gay marriage, but gay relations are legal. There are 113 countries where gay relations are legal and 76 where they're still illegal. And then there's some where the law is just a kind of confused mess. But so I I actually think that part of what is going on is that the reality is shifting. It's shifting over time. It's shifting in this country. It's shifting worldwide. And what you hear are a lot of voices of actually, I think, quite terrified people. Terrified of? Their own sexuality. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's that's where the toxicity in this comes from. 
and you know, I think your, your, your stepbrother, I mean, I think probably when I was 13, 14, 15, I said things like that about gays as well. Mm. I was frightened, as everybody I think is more or less, of what's going on in your life at that point, and you need some solid things to hold on to, and being, yeah, you know, them pufters and you kind of, you know, not. I, not I, think, I think, Dan, the, the solid things that you hold on to <laughs> you're, is, you're is precisely <laughs> the problem. <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 solid, my solid things are very, very conceptual. Of course, uh, my apologies, <laughs> yes. I think that an awful lot of fear of otherness mm. Uh, mm. comes down to where your self-esteem sits. And in general, people with a more sort of solid and uh, sort of equable self-esteem seem to me to have less fear of otherness, less prejudice, um, greater likelihood for tolerance. And I think that's also true about communities as well. So you put communities and groups under pressure, and you start getting, a, you know, sort of uh, lashing out at easy targets. So I think that's something we've seen in you know, all through the 20th century, large parts of European history seem to me to be partly explicable through that, put a group under pressure and you get a lashing out of easy targets, whether they're Jews or gays or both. So just the otherness of, of the home? In, to, to, some degree, to some degree, yes. And I, I can't see otherwise what it is. I mean, you know, there's, there's not evidence not or logic which, yes. which, which supports that position, so there's something else which supports that position. That's all mm. I think. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that. I think it's the. It makes David Cameron look quite good. The fact that he's roused this by being so pro this issue, and Boris Johnson, all people that are kind of wankers on loads of issues, have <laughs> um, actually been incredibly supportive on it and, and very strong. And he and he knows he was going to whip up tensions within his party. So I think he's. I think it actually is quite a. Yeah. We shall. Uh, we shall have a slight change of pace now, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the stage, Nick Revel. <laughs> Um, yeah, there was another shooting uh, in, in the States last week, Friday, and, uh, and after the Aurora shootings in the cinema in Colorado last July, the, the US gun lobby called it a one-off freak tragic accident, uh, and um, as I say, there was one in Santa Monica last Friday, which I think, as far as I can remember, is about the sixth or seventh one-off tragic <laughs> freak event since last July, and uh, I don't know, it... it seems to me that if you're living in a country where more of your citizens are getting shot at college, elementary school, or at the cinema than in Helmand province, then maybe it's time to reassess your core values. Uh, but then again, there's two sides to every m argument. I mean, you remember when the Clinton administration brought in that uh, blanket ban on hunting deer with uh, automatic rifles and Cobra assault helicopters. Um, the result was a huge rise in shooting sprees carried out by deer. <laughs> of course, they won't release those statistics because they're kept under lock and key in the same secret vault as Obama's Klingon birth certificate. But, <laughs> but what, what really confuses me on the issue is this, that two terrorists killed three people in Boston with an improvised bomb, which, don't get me wrong, I, I find reprehensible, obviously. The whole of Boston is locked down. There's universal outrage in the States, whereas half a dozen are shot dead every month, and people are prepared to make allowances because the murder weapon is protected by the Second Amendment. An exploding pressure cooker? That's not the American way to kill somebody. That is disgusting. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Fourth Amendment, protecting citizens from searches for evidence without probable cause, as we've seen this week with the, the PRISM story, appears to be uh, pretty flexible, about as strong as Barack Obama's commitment to his own principles. 
He said last. Uh, he said five years ago. He said he was going to close Guantanamo Bay without, within a year of becoming president. Five years later, it's still open. Uh, but but to be fair, uh, that kind of decision obviously has to be taken at the very highest level of government, uh, and <laughs> maybe he doesn't have the right connections. Uh. <laughs> I read this in the paper today just before I came on stage. After the Santa Monica shootings, police spokesman said the assailant dressed in black and carried an assault-style rifle and had about 1,300 rounds of ammunition during the rampage. Because he was wearing a ballistic vest and was heavily armed, I would say it's premeditated. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm, not an, I'm not an expert, but that does seem to me like stating the obvious. But again, you know, on the other hand, the, the, the gun lobby argument in the U.S. is that the country would be safer if everybody was armed. So, you know, maybe Kevlar and guns are now standard dress code in some states. Uh, uh, certainly, you know, the, the, after the Aurora shoot, shootings, they said if people had been allowed to be armed who were in the cinema, then the shooting wouldn't have happened, which made me think, I can't even think, it's got to make the, the movie-going experience over there <laughs> slightly different to the one in this country. Right. Fancy going to see a film? Yeah, all right, I'll just get me jacket. Okay, kids, we're going to the movies, so put on your body armor and listen up. Everybody will be carrying M16s with two spare clips, except Mom, who will carry a 44 Magnum. She will need a free hand for buying tickets and popcorn. Tommy, big day for you. When we get to the parking lot, I'm going to let you throw the smoke grenade to cover our entry to the building. All right. Once inside, you, me, and Bobby take up firing positions to cover Mom's advance on the ticket cashier. Mom will politely point her revolver at the cashier and shout, Four tickets to Wreck-It Ralph, please! <laughs> Once ticket purchase is complete, she will shout, Wreck-It Ralph, tickets purchased! We then enter the theater in standard split group infantry advance formation. Bobby throws a stun grenade through the door into the theater. We take our seats. Now remember, anyone coming in after us is also likely to throw a stun grenade, <laughs> as is their constitutional right. So take a pack of tissues to deal with those nosebleeds and no crying. <laughs> we eat our popcorn in turns while the others scan the auditorium for any unusual movement. While the movie itself is running, do not make the potentially fatal mistake of concentrating your attention on the screen for long periods. Okay, let's lock and load and go enjoy that movie. <laughs> um, it's sort of strange that, because I, I had to pay attention to Nick, as I always do, on the, on the Fourth Amendment being relevant to the conversation about, about snooping that's been going on. Uh, on that side of the Atlantic, and now it turns out, actually, on this side of the Atlantic, the anatomy of the story is very strange. In, in that a journalist wrote for The Guardian a story about American government uh, having access to phone records and, and possibly internet email records, and then it, it emerged, of course, that GCHQ here was possibly using the same technology. So it turned out what they thought was a story for the foreign desk turned out to be a story for the, for the home news section as well. Hal, what would we find in your well, inbox, I, I, inbox this I'm evening? terrible because I, I instinctively am not at all bothered by this. I just have that thing of just, of, 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 of just thinking if you're not messing about, it, you know, that, has anything yet been proved? Has, has a case of anybody being, uh, of this information being misused against someone and... Oh, sorry, is that? Give that so that, that's, I just, I'm just gobsmacked by the amount of trust that you place I'm in the so, government. I'm ridiculous. I, 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 I know this is pathetic. I read 1984 when I was a kid going, 
if he just keeps his head down and does his job, he'll be fine. It's quite, I do, I'm terrible. I do, I'm awful, but it's... It's why, it's why I don't get seen as one of the real cutting-edge comedians. Um, but he had a nice job putting things in the tubes and the... Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I am a bit like that about... Do you, can I tell you a story about... I, I, I had a one-night stand in the 90s with a girl who worked at GCHQ. Cool. This is before Big Instant. I didn't have an email even at the time. And, um, and, so, and I wasn't in the phone book or anything like that. And she called me up three months later. She got my number, and there was a time when it's quite hard to get numbers, and she'd found it through work, and I was slightly thrilled. Yeah. It was... <laughs> she became sexier because she'd used... She'd found me through, through GCHQ. Just before we move up the panel, just to get your points clear... <laughs> I like the way up the panel, because I am at the bottom of ge the panel. Ge <laughs> ge ge geographically, not, not merit... If it's, if it's someone you've had sex with who uses... Uh, sinister means yeah. to garner information about you because they might want to have sex with you again. Yes. That's okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was exciting. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not as trusting as you, but I can't argue with that logic. <laughs> Go ahead. Why should Hal be less trusting, Liam? I, well, personally, I'm not um, surprised uh, <laughs> by, by any of this. Uh, any, any more than I was nine years ago when that bloke got questioned by the police for texting Clash lyrics to his friend. Um, when, when, you remember that? He, he, mm. tested, he texted the lyrics to Tommy Gunn. And, yeah, he ended up in, in a police station. I, I, and, and when that happened, I thought, well, yeah, that's the kind of country we're living in. Don't, don't say anything. Uh, you don't want the government to read in, in any communication. What, what should... I don't, I don't want to keep using Hal as an example of the, uh, the sort of innocent dude who doesn't realise the, the, <laughs> the planet's moving around him, of which he's completely oblivious. But I'm going to. What, um, <laughs> what, what should he fear? Because I, it, it, it's, it's actually quite... An, I've done nothing wrong. I've got nothing to worry about. All right, some fictional theoretical government might have a problem with me because I'm Capricorn or I went to a Catholic school, but that's not going to happen. So you carry on and get the, what, bad, what, get what the real we, bad news. What, what should we fear? We, we had um, uh, this week. We had another person, uh, another child, arrested for making a silly tweet. That's exactly what we should fear. But that's not spying. It's not spying. But it, 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 do, the sort of government that would arrest a child for a tweet—is that the sort of government you want, knowing everything about you? It's not the sort of government I want. You're referring to, about the, to the young woman who tweeted. If you wear a help, to be honest, if you wear a Help for Heroes T-shirt, you deserve to be beheaded on May the 22nd. Now, I, I think, and, and you probably are better across this story than I am, I think she was trying to be funny. I don't, trying I don't to be funny saying it's a very unfashionable T-shirt yes. or something. It, it doesn't really matter. It, 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 you, being a dick is not a crime. Not, not in a civilised country. Being a twat should not be criminalised. Uh. We're never in a situation where we have to, you, you know, protect people like, like, like the, you know, the stand-up comedian Burma, who, who's oppressed by the state. We we're always having to protect twats, but, but that's, we have Price to. The, the, well, the standard of a society is how it treats the lowest in that society, and there's nothing lower than a, than a, than a, than a misinformed teenager with a Twitter account. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> we we have to protect those people. And that, that, yeah, is, that, Hal, is, is the point you've missed, I think, and me as well, in that you knit those two phenomena together. And, in fact, if the government are looking at everything you do and things like tweeting 
um, about Belfast Airport uh, mm. getting blown up if I miss my holiday, or about Help for Heroes t-shirts being a cause for beheading. If, if they're going to pick people up, and indeed she got 250 hours of um, unpaid work, I think that's one of Ian Duncan Smith's policies <laughs> <laughs> of community service. That is a problem. I just, I do, th- I, I, I do think it's she's not getting she's not being held indefinitely no. for something that you know it's our, our punishment a malicious is not electronic massive. Message it's, is the crime. it's a it's a nasty That's thing to to write. Mm. It's I mean I I don't particularly agree with that. What, what am I defending? There's, I'm just trying to go against. There is you, nothing in law about being nasty. Is there? Is there? Is no, there that's a, true, but but. Or even it, stupid. Other countries in the world where, you, just to paraphrase Dan, you could be locked up just for being a dick. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Memo um, to self: Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I mean, I mean, you know, there's been. Um, I, I suppose one of the things about this whole story is I'm surprised at people's surprise at a whole number of them. At the scrutiny, the snooping. The, the yes, because I mean, there were all those stories about um, um, how the Indian government was not uh, wanting to allow BlackBerry to yeah. uh, keep their code secret, right? And the whole point of BlackBerry was that. Um, for business users that um, their messages were better encrypted than others and the government was saying, no, 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 we've got to be able to look at everything. Now, the, okay, the Indian government, you know, is a government of a country which is now experiencing fast economic growth and it's very sophisticated in many ways in its infrastructure and it's got a space program and so on. But at the same time, if India is doing it, then every sort of uh, reasonably well-developed, technologically sophisticated country is doing it. Um, the, the idea of GCHQ being a sort of a foreign extension of the National Security Agency in the US is apparently horrifying people today to judge from the front pages, but it's what I knew in the mid-1970s because there were cases then, and probably nobody else here, you know, you, you're very young, Hal, don't worry. <laughs> um, can remember the ABC case of Aubrey Berry Campbell, but that was partly what that was about, was that GCHQ was essentially the foreign arm of the National uh, security agency and that when people talk about the very close US-UK wow, relationship yeah, in intelligence they are talking about a very close US-UK relationship Liam's point about the twats thing and yeah. this is all about going, that, that we are we all, I've also got to remember we are a liberal democracy we do have an allowance for, for variance of opinion we're not going to use these techniques the same w- in the same way that China will or the same way that I don't know Russia might. You mentioned that. There's a, a journalist on the American magazine, The Atlantic, who tweeted yesterday, and he's recorded this, that he'd overheard four U.S. intelligence agents at Dulles Airport saying that the guy from the NSA who'd leaked PRISM, and indeed Glenn Greenwald, the journalist who'd reported it, should be disappeared. So, <laughs> are you scared now, yes. Hal Cruttenden? Yes. <laughs> Please welcome back to the stage, Mr. Mitch Bent! <laughs> and yes, those are the words. <laughs> there was time to write it. There wasn't time to learn it. Fuck off. <laughs> so to reiterate, we have um, the hilarious Woolwich incident. We have surveillance, rather broad topic. And we have Kim.com, who I, my investigations have proved is actually a sort of internet piracy maven. There's a guy who started Mega Uploader. And it's sort of self-styled most wanted man on the net. So a man of whose activity I'll wholeheartedly disapprove, but without whom I probably still wouldn't have seen Game of Thrones. So I... Uh, <laughs> my 
life would be much the poorer for it. I'm not taking out a Sky subscription for ten weeks of one fucking show. <laughs> I buy the box sets eventually, you get your money. Just because you don't put the box sets out for 12 months, you've got to wait for the damn money. Anyway, feels kind of Lenin-y. Everybody's under surveillance On and off the net There ain't no sort of information The powers that be can't get Agencies are spying upon us And spying on each other We haven't noticed Big Brother watching us We're too busy watching Big Brother They read all your emails They know where they come from They can find your voicemails But they can't find Kim.com They watch for discontentment And any signs of protest But a couple of axe-wielding mentals in Woolwich Somehow went unnoticed Loads to get through, um, including some sparkling suggestions from the audience this evening. But I, I just want to di- direct you back first, if I may, to the close of the first half, when we've done a lot on uh, the notion of government snooping on our information. Paul Mason, the Newsnight journalist, who, who's also been a panellist, uh, no pressure to be funny, has tweeted while we've been on air that this is, this is round two of the international information wars, uh, the notion of governments having these windows into our world, and that round one would be Bradley Manning, which, of course, is still... Uh, unfolding in an American courtroom, a man who effectively is facing incredibly serious punishment for telling us about things that were actually happening. Have I got that right, Dan? Yeah. So, and, and things that were trying to be hidden as well. Um, namely? Well, uh, there's, a, there's video footage um, shot from an Apache helicopter uh, shooting up a group of people in Baghdad that included two Reuters journalists, uh, you hear them saying, carrying a gun, carrying a gun, actually, it's a camera. You hear them as they're hovering. And you can tell it's a camera as you, you can watch tell it's this a camera, footage. yes. And it's being held over the guy's shoulder in a way that looks like a camera. And I think I'm right in saying that that was the case on which one of the lines that was used by the authorities about it was, well, you know, our soldiers didn't know they were not armed. So a, a group wow. of people is shot up because we didn't know they were not armed. Um, it's, it's incredible. And that, of course, should be allowed out, and people should know that that is happening. I mean, and that is being done, you know, yes, liberal democracy mm. uh, includes transparency and accountability. The only way in which we can hold people accountable who are in power is if we know what is going on, and that's what Bradley Manning, largely that's what Bradley Manning is being uh, tried for. And the, the, the complacency that some of us feel, not just how, the, uh, <laughs> the, the complacency that, <laughs> that some of us feel is, is presumably born of the belief forgive me for, for being crass, that we're only killing, at the moment, Arabs. We're not likely to use this information and this, this attempt at secrecy on our, quote, own people. Do you think? I, I think so. I think, well, to a degree, yes. I think that there is something where it is, where, where problems are over there and far away. I mean, again, one of the lines that you hear being said by um, one of the pilots or whatever on this Apache because um, they, um, they shot up a van that came afterwards, and there were some kids in it. And they said, well, you know, it's their fault for bringing children into a war zone. You know, 
it's so forgetting what the sh humanness is of other people. And I do think that we are all always in a little bit of danger of doing that. People whom we have no other form of connection with, of, of course. It's hard to remember their humanity all the time. But that's why you need kind of moral principles and international law and discipline. The, um, the question I have to ask at this point is, is whether or not how when you look at Bradley Manning you find yourself thinking he should have just kept his head down. And got on with the job. <laughs> well, I do. I, do I, I, I don't, no. But, <laughs> no, because I saw that. That video is, ex is extraordinary because yeah. I am also... God, I'm so I'm so bloody of the um, whatever. Um, I'm so unrevolutionary. What's the word? Anyway, um, it's a bit late for me. I'm doing 600 calories today as well. I feel weak. Anyway, um, oh, I really am. I'm so established. Bradley Manning that's has no word. choice yeah. about doing no, 600 that's calories. <laughs> <laughs> that's we'll the word. That's not, but but I do. I mean, the thing is, he did release that, but he also did release masses of other stuff, mm -hmm. didn't he? And you are a soldier in an army, and th there is this there is this problem with with you know being a, an open society and also having to have an army. And the fact is, if you are the army, has to keep certain secrets for you know it it does for certain reasons, doesn't it? I mean, having said that, there are there are other things that, that we do want to know about. I I do realise. I, I think I was so shocked by this because I was I was remembering something. I, did anybody see the film about Don McCullen, the photographer? Mm. And I watched it really recently. And I remembered growing up in the seventies and eighties in, in the Observer and Sunday Times magazines, you would have a lot more war photography, very open photography showing the brutality of war. And it does seem to have come down. We do seem to now have Sunday magazines that are about, you know, I think Ethan Hawke's on the front of mm. the Observer magazine or something. This this we, we used to have a lot more realism about war. And I think it was probably post. Vietnam, but they've really shut down what you can see about war. Turkey's come up a lot as well in the, in the notes in front of me from people who've kindly submitted it. Are the protests in Turkey the beginning of the next Arab Spring? Please talk about the Turkey protests. Um, Turkey protests. <laughs> <laughs> it must be Christmas. The, um, the, the, the problem here is, of course, that we're not getting a very clear picture of, of exactly who is protesting and about what. They have a democratically elected prime minister, um, but he apparently wants to become an undemocratically elected president and do lots of nasty things that young, enlightened people are unhappy about, but plenty of traditional voters are not unhappy about. It, it, it has an echo of Syria, which is a much bloodier and more serious situation, in the sense that I think you'd struggle to find many people in this country who could really give you a clear account of what's going on in either place. Was that? That's for you. That was a challenge. <laughs> that was a challenge. Um, what, the reason why Turkey seems so hard to understand is because, as sometimes happens, the nature of the protests has moved very fast. It started out, it's very, very simple. Um, there's Taksim Square. Part of Taksim Square is a garden, the Getsi Gardens. Um, tree, full of trees, 600 trees or something. Um, the uh, AKP government, Erdogan's government, as well as being, as we know from the coverage being reported all the time, being sort of Islamistically inclined, right, is also in very, very close with a bunch, or with a, a, a very large group of very successful property developers. And over the past decade, there's been an awful lot of property uh, development, land development. And the uh, proposal was to uproot all the trees, take away the garden, and put a shopping mall in, and people started to protest it. That has started to raise bigger issues, including because of the police response, but not only because of that. 
about the government itself, which is democratically elected, has been very successful in lots of ways, has been much more tolerant um, than was feared at the beginning, but seems to, over the last maybe three to five years, to have been tightening up. They've locked up 70 journalists. Yes, that's that right. Day. And it's especially journalists who are, um, who are embarrassing them in some sort of way. You know, they've also, you know, it's a very mixed picture because they've also weakened the power of the military considerably. Um, 15, so there's no years. goodies and baddies, in a sense. In a, yes. For the simplistic Westerner over there, here. There's no blacks and whites yes. in this. There's shades. I don't, I don't want to go there because you're going to make a joke about <laughs> it. I'm not going to make a joke about <laughs> it. How well? 50 shades of grey is what everybody was thinking. And, and, and would it be too simplistic to carry that across to Syria, or is that more black and white? I, well, I mean, Syria, again, has become phenomenally complicated. And the issue is now up out in the open about intervention, intervention with military force in should one way or, or another. Should we or, should we or shouldn't we? we? Yes. Sell weapons, no-fly zones, support, get involved, boots on the ground, etc., etc. And the answer to almost all of those questions is no. The, the first thing that you should ask yourself is which side do you want to be on, Hezbollah or Al-Qaeda? Uh, because, <laughs> because those are amongst the forces on Hezbollah fighting on the um, side of the Assad government and al various al-Qaeda groups fighting amongst the 800 different armed groups which make up the opposition. So it, it's enormously complex and it's becoming more complex all the time. I mean, really sad, you know, it's horrible for, for Syrian, Syrian people, Syria's future. The country is becoming a kind of arena into which everybody else is beginning to pour force and influence and spies and, and so on. And, Iran is there very strongly. Saudi Arabia is there very strongly. Israel, of course, is, is involved. Uh, and I, you know, I think it would be, well, what, I, what I've heard, which I think is a, a judgment I'd more or less agree with, is that there are probably, you know, anybody in the Ministry of Defense or the Pentagon or NATO planning in Brussels could design you more 10 or 12 different military strategies for you to choose between to get in, involved if you want to intervene. None of them could design you a strategy for pulling out. Mm, so, yes. in other words, Deja the, the danger of the open-ended in involvement in something that no government, no Western government at the moment properly understands. Well, I feel a lot better now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I always find this kind of line gets a lot of laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> One of the questions was, is, is liberal interventionism dead? Having listened to you, uh, in reference to Syria, having listened to you, Dan, I, I wonder if there was ever actually such a thing as liberal interventionism. That's just what you call it when it went well. Yeah, I think so. But I, I think, I mean, after the, um, after the end of the Cold War, go back to the beginning of the 90s, and this sense that now that the Cold War was out of the way, we can start to deal with a lot of these problems. And you sort of cast me as the one to bring gloom. So let me say that in... in clarity, clarity, Dan, clarity. <laughs> Syria is a very hard thing to make a joke about because yes. it's a sad situation. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. And he's, he's made a gag this week. He's warned Syrian citizens not to travel to Turkey because of the security concerns. <laughs> yeah. so, so, anyway... Yeah. <laughs> um, there were 50 armed conflicts going on in 1990 as the Cold War ended. There were 30 going on in 2010. So we have actually learned how to end wars. We have actually learned how to build 
um, stable peace processes, we've actually learned to do things a bit better. Also, for those with a sort of particularly kind of detailed, morbid view about these things, the number of people who are killed on average per war is less now than it was 20 years ago, less than it was 100 years ago, and so on. Despite the increasing killing power of the technology, wars are actually less lethal, tend to last less time, and peace processes are more successful. Within that, the Western politicians have consistently been tempted towards a kind of hard-edged, high-profile, hard-hitting way of resolving some of these problems, which often therefore means you know, sanctions or supporting one side or another, getting involved with, uh, with armed force. Actually, their greatest successes have often been the things which go on out, out of the headlines and take a, uh, a long time to unfold, are not enormously dramatic, um, and are actually you know, only of interest to people like me who specialize in them. Well, uh, yes, and now of interest to everybody else in the room as well, <laughs> but, Dan, so thank you. That, that is the terrible thing, isn't it, thinking that war is, is so simple to understand. It yeah. sells papers, it's what people can... Especially if there's a map. <laughs> with, with, like, with like arrows that, that, that is, yeah. that, that's what happened at PMQs is that, is that Cameron tried to paint it in precisely those terms and, and I, I, I don't know that, that everybody else necessarily agreed with him in the House of Commons but he was very much saying Assad bad, everyone else, everyone else good as, as for sort of the other element at PMQs that someone's brought up, Ed Balls and Ed Miliband making their reversing policy on benefits just before PMQs, giving Cameron an easy target. Have we got the most incompetent politicians in a generation? Liam? Um, I, 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 I doubt it. There's a lot to <laughs> choose from, isn't there? It's, it's um, not a competition. Probably the most um, colourless and... Yeah. Bland. Bland, yeah. Um, I, it's, I don't know. What, it's just so boring, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I see Ed Miliband, I think, oh, I'm bored. Yes. He's got a default face, don't you think, Bless Ed Miliband? Him. Yes, he does. If you bought a factory human being, they would come with that face. <laughs> but, you know, I, I miss Thatcher. I really fucking miss Thatcher. Well, she's not been dead long. Well, <laughs> I know, but I miss her. I miss her. I miss, I miss the Thatcher years because you... You knew, you knew what, what was... Like, politics was up there, and it was like something that sort of angry gods did in the sky. And you, as long as you just, if you just wanted to sit in a squat and take drugs, no one bothered you. <laughs> it, was, it was fine. It didn't, no, no, one, no one trod on you or tried to get you in... And then Tony Blair came along and ruined it and said, come on, come on, squatters, come to my garden party. Mm. Come, come, come along and meet Liam Gallagher and Gaddafi. And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure one of those will turn out to be a cunt, but let's go along anyway. <laughs> Spe oh. Speaking. And then he was like, "Thanks for coming. Can I just get your, your national insurance number and, a, and some blood so that I can check your Facebook update forever?" Yeah. Just... Um, I, I do another couple from the from the floor from the audience. I think before uh, calling it a night, and I like this one. Bilderberg. Bilderberg. Should we be concerned? Jessica? I'm not concerned. Only because the people I've read showing concern do not convince me. But that could be um, a deliberate ruse. Oh, and then it gets really complicated yes. and we're all just going to implode anyway. Um, the most yeah, powerful guy, men in the world. There's a conspiracy theorist called Daniel Estulin. Have you heard of this guy? And he's been in investigating them. And I, I, I'll, if I may quote him, he says uh, that Bilderbergers want to supplant individual nation-state sovereignty with all-powerful global government, corporate-controlled and checkmated by militarised enforcement. He's accidentally made them sound like Avengers Assemble, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
not worried. Haven't Bilderberg been going since like the 1920s or something? A, bit like, a tiny bit later than that. The 50s so, or so something? 50s something. There's oh, yeah. one year when they didn't make So either they're, they're already the in Avengers. control of everything or they're not very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dennis Skinner tweeted earlier today, he said, could you imagine being invited to join the Bilderberg group and, and having, as, as Dan rightly says, having this sort of sense of glamour and secrecy about it and you turn up and you've been anointed as one of the most powerful people on the planet and they sit you next to George Osborne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My final question of the evening refers to Michael Douglas's remarks about oral sex <laughs> and throat cancer. I'm wondering what the panel have risked in the pursuit of, of pleasure. Um, <laughs> Jessica Fosterkey. <laughs> all, all I can think of saying is AIDS. That's it, isn't it? Really, Dan, have you, what have you risked in the pursuit of pleasure? Dignity, normally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... I mean, no, nothing for my own pleasure. I once to I, I once uh, met a guy in uh, Mexico who said he'd always wanted to sleep with a prostitute. So I had to, but he didn't speak any Spanish. So I had to take him to a, which you need to to, <laughs> to sleep with a prostitute. Um, in, so in the early so stages. <laughs> <laughs> so so I remember taking him to the red light district in Oaxaca, and I don't remember what happened, but I. I, I remember at the end of the evening, because I, I, at that time I had one of my front teeth was stuck in with super glue, and, uh, <laughs> and it used to keep falling out. And I lost it in a sort of midden of nappies and shit uh, in the middle of the street. And, and you know, all these uh, uh, Mexican transsexuals turned up and helped me dig through this pile of shit <laughs> to find my tooth. And, uh, <laughs> And, 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 I, and since then, I, I won't have a bad word said against Mexican transsexual <laughs> prostitutes. And, uh, and finally, Hal Crottenden, what have you... Well, mine's going to be really tame, isn't it, off that? Um, it, well, obviously, my privacy with a woman from GCHQ. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sensing oh, you didn't have that many one nights. Do you know what? I don't want to mention that about 80 times. I fucking didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> Shut up. Um, Sorry. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Uh, and no, do you know what? What nobody ever believes me. In my t- no, I'm, tr- I'm trying to compete with Liam for wild living. I, I did used to do a bit of cocaine in my twenties. Do you know what? It had absolutely no fucking effect on me at all. I just was the same neurotic, self-obsessed twat that I am now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that um, that just about wraps us up for this evening. Please join me first in thanking, uh, of course, Alistair Barry and Nick Revel, Mitch Ben, and your panel: Liam Malone, Jessica Foster, Hugh Hal Crutton, and Dan Smith. They are. A brief reminder, if you will, that Steve Richards, uh, an alumni of the panel and the political editor, less importantly, the political editor of The Independent, uh, will be performing his solo show, Rock and Roll Politics, here at the Soho Theatre from the 2nd to the 6th of July. We'll be back on July the 14th. This has been no pressure to be funny. I'm James O'Brien. Good night. (laughs) 